think I already mentioned it. I'm going to have some uh, frank talk about, about Santa Claus today. So that's your last warning in case new parents need it. Let's go ahead and start out with, uh, with a text uh, from Isaiah 9, verse 6 through 7. We already heard some of it earlier uh, by Holly uh, with the Advent, uh, Advent candle reading. And uh, let's read this, Isaiah 9, 6 to 7. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Let's pray. God, thank you for the scripture which reaches, reaches backward in time. It reaches even, even back to uh, the Jews understanding that uh, the Messiah would, would come and he'd be on the throne of David. He'd be in the lineage of King David. But it's something that takes us all the way through the cross, the redemption that took place on there, the, the most heroic and compassionate act ever done. On the cross, takes us through the resurrection, takes us all the way to the place of completion or consummation by which you fix this broken world. And God, it's, a, it's an expansive story that talks about a sovereign God that loves us so much that we're captured within his grip of grace and that you will finish what you started, God. Lord, I, I thank you for men, for women, for students, boys and girls who have been captured by this concept, by this truth, Lord. I thank you for those, even this morning, who will have a greater glimpse of a God that is so powerful that he's doing a story, he's writing a story that's going to come to completion where there will be no more pain, there will be no more misery, and every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And we're so grateful for that, Lord. So may our eyes be opened to the greatness of our God, our Father God, the greatness of Jesus, our Savior, who's God, the greatness of the Holy Spirit, who is doing, a, doing works of conversion, works of sanctification in us that seals us until the very last day. We worship you, Dad. We worship you, Jesus. We worship you, Holy Spirit. We're grateful for the Trinity, and specifically as we come and talk about um, a man who, uh, biographically, he was changed by the gospel, even though his name has been some, somewhat changed or corrupted in places, God, he was one who pointed to you. And so we, we say once again, Jesus, you're the hero. So bless us today in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, so Santa Claus, a jolly old elf that lives in the North Pole with his wife and a host of elves. They make toys all year long. And then deliver them all on December 24th. Santa has a long list of boys and girls uh, from around the world. And if they've been good, they'll receive gifts. But if they've been bad, they'll receive a lump of coal in their stocking. At our journey group, um, a couple weeks back, 
we talked a little bit about Santa and about stockings and, and just kind of generally gift giving in, in Christmas. And one of the stories from someone um, was about how in their stockings that they would get, they'd get toys, but in the very bottom of it, there'd be a lump of coal every year. There was always gifts. There's always gifts there, but there was always a lump of coal. And the idea behind that was the mom and dad wanted them to know, look, you, you got toys and all, but don't misunderstand this. You were not perfect, anywhere near perfect. And so there was a dose of humility that came in that. Um, as far as gift giving in, uh, in, in Christmas time, um, I, I heard a, a pretty neat philosophy that you guys have probably heard. You might even be able to finish it. Uh, that a gifts, the gifts that you'd give in Christmas time or the gifts that you'd receive would be something you want, something you need, something to wear, something to read. How many of y'all you've ever heard that before? I'd never heard that before just a couple weeks ago in journey group. And I was like, that's pretty good, pretty good philosophy, especially looking at the kids. All right. Something they want, something that they need, something to wear, something to read. The few family made a uh, pretty big shift in the last, last few years. Instead of giving so many gifts to one another within the few family, um, and, and really, I don't know if, if any of you guys have ever gotten stressed out when you start talking about extended family and uncles and aunts and cousins and, and, and I mean, all this to where it's like, well, we got to get together and, oh man, there's all these gifts that we got to give. And I mean, I've, I've, there's been members of the family and there's other friends, they, get, they just get so, they get so stressed out because they want to make sure that they get gifts for everybody and that the gifts are equitable, you know, to where if it's all, all these grandchildren or all these cousins or whatever, that you try to make it as close as possible so you don't feel like you're, being, you're favoring or, or being biased like that and just stresses people out. Well, the shift that we made a few years ago was instead of, instead of giving a ton of gifts within the few family, uh, we decided what we're going to do was we were going to elevate birthdays. Say, okay, on your birthday, man, we are gone. We're just, we're going to throw a party. We're going to celebrate you. And I mean, we're going to treat you like king or queen on that day. And you're going to get showered with love and, and, and gifts on that day. But being that <clears throat> Christmas is about Jesus' birthday, it's not, actually not on his birthday, but uh, it's about Jesus' birthday that we want to focus more on him and we'll give a few gifts, but we started making sure that we were giving strategic gifts in the name of Jesus to church, to other ministries, um, or just to other kingdom causes, which again, that's what we're doing today uh, with the Skinners. Um, y'all probably heard it said um, by somebody before, may your, may your most May your most valuable gift or your most expensive gift be to Christ or to his, to his kingdom. And um, I, I think that's a great philosophy. I mean, you don't have to be burdened or weighed down by that. But I think the concept of saying, okay, it's Jesus' birthday. We're celebrating him. What if for his cause and for his name and for his glory that the gift that meant the most to us was something we did for him and for his glory and for for the expansion of his kingdom, which would be outside of, outside of ourselves. And I, I hope that, I hope that we'll continue to be challenged and trained to where we'll view Christmas as being about Christ, as being about who he is and what he's doing. Uh, we usually, 
uh, would buy some gifts for uh, Living Water International. That's an organization you can dig wells with. Um, there's Compassion International. You can do that and other things as well. You can give livestock to, to the poor uh, through Heifer International. Um, this year, we actually are, are sidestepping both those organizations and, and, and focusing on what Sojourn's been doing, which is, which is the Skinner's. And, um, and so I, I, just, I just challenge you on it's not too late to think through, okay, what, what can I do that's really kingdom focus? And, and it's not all about your money either because who we are is it's wrapped up in our time, our talent, and our treasure. And so thinking through, okay, God, how can I invest in the kingdom of God specifically, strategically at the Christmas season to celebrate the birth of Christ through, those, through my time, through my talent, through my, tre- my treasure? So be challenged by that and just think through and, and it may be something's like, okay, all right, let's go ahead and start making plans next year. We're, we're, we're radically going to change some things if that's what uh, God's calling you to do, if you need to change. But let's talk about Santa Claus. And uh, you can research information all over the place about Santa Claus, about St. Nicholas. Um, I'll give you a couple of good spots where I went to um, stnicholascenter.org. Um, was was one that spoke specifically about St. Nicholas. A good synopsis by Mark Driscoll um, is at theresurgence.com and just look up St. Nicholas there. Um, also a good article from a book a guy read um, from Campbell University at campbell.edu.edu. Um, so when it comes to Santa Claus, some Christians practice Santa Claus and don't even blink about it, all right? Just... Just roll right through. Some Christians completely reject Santa and think pretending about Santa will damage their children. I believe the best strategy that we can take is to spend most of your time talking about Christ, talking about Advent, the birth of the God-man, Jesus Christ. So um, as we go through this, what you're going to find from my perspective is, is it's not so much about about um, not ever mentioning who S- Santa is or St. Nicholas more, more uh, accurately, but is to really elevate Jesus to where Jesus is clearly the hero in your family. So, you know, so you're, you're single and, and uh, you live alone or you live with some roommates to where you just bring a great focus on Christ. You got a family that you're in. You know, you spend time, some time thinking through what it meant for God to come down and become flesh as John 1 talks about. When the kids were very young, um, we presented uh, that, that Santa Claus came and, and brought gifts. Um, and uh, so we, was, we, we evolved over the years. Um, it, the thing is, it doesn't take too long for kids to start asking a bunch of questions about this dude, about, about somebody that, uh, you know, um, who can go around and, and, and visit all of the, all the kids around the world, you know, in one night, I mean, just the physics behind it, even if they don't even know the word physics, they're just like, I don't know how that could happen. Or uh, what happens a lot of times with kids is they just get really creeped out by the concept that somebody's always watching them, you know? So you got to be kidding me, an elf, you know, that, that's big and lives in the North Pole. How does he do that? It is, it's creepy, isn't it? You know, think about that. Um, the, more, the more kids that we had, which we, we've got four in totality, uh, we ended up telling them earlier uh, in, in their years um, that Santa was a pretend tradition that we had. It came sooner. 
He was, that he was fun. Uh, it was a fun pretend like the tooth fairy. See, okay, didn't warn y'all about that one. But there you go. All right? It was just fun, but it was pretend. It was pretend. And uh, so, so then basically she's like, so yes, you did see mommy kissing Santa Claus. You see her kissing him all the time because I are him. Um, but I mean, if you unpack a little bit and you start thinking through the mythology of Santa Claus, you realize that the Santa that's been talked about, you know, in, in America, he's, he's a, he's a God with a little G, little G. I mean, this is Santa that he's a God. And the truth is he makes a very bad God, little G. He's a, he is somebody who is omnipresent because he sees all the children. He's somebody that's omniscient. He knows, he knows if, they've, if they've been good or if they've been bad. He's, uh, he's omnipotent, mean all-powerful, and that he's able to deliver all those presents globally in, in one night. He's a judge keeping record of the wrongs. And then ultimately, this God with a little G, he will give to you if, if you deserve it. He'll accept you if, if you're good enough, all right? Now, let's just contrast that a little bit with Jesus. Jesus is he's also omniscient. He, he does see all the children and their parents and other students and all the men and all the women. Uh, he is um, omnipresent. He's everywhere. So he can see. He knows what's going on, omniscience. He is omnipotent. He, he is he's all-powerful and able to do anything that, that he gives. And he is a judge who keeps record of good and bad. Every deed that we do, there's a record that's kept for it. However, huge, huge distinction between Santa and Jesus. Santa only gives good gifts if you deserve it. Jesus only gives good gifts to those that don't deserve it. And that's me. And that's you. And that's grace. He's one that he gives us the greatest gift of all, which he gives us himself. He gives us forgiveness. He brings us into his family. He's unbelievable. He's, he's not a little God. He's not a bad God. He is the only God. He's the biggest God. He's the best God. This is who Jesus is. And, and so as we, if we unpack who Santa is or who Santa was, I want you to know that the story of the real Santa is inspiring. Um, and so ultimately, as you walk out of here, um, and we were talking about this uh, with the worship band just a little while ago, is you can ultimately say that Santa is real. He is real. There's a real person that it was based on. Uh, and it's more of an incorrupt way. The story of a guy by the name of Nicholas um, that ended up becoming a bishop, a priest, a pastor, and then ultimately after his death uh, was within the church at the time, they, were, they proclaimed him to be a saint. And the reason why he is a person that we should study, and while we're going to spend a little time doing some biographical s- sketches on Nicholas, is because he was one that pointed others to Jesus Christ, not himself. Let's talk about St. Nicholas. He was, he was born in the 3rd century. Uh, in a village called Patara, which is modern-day Turkey. Uh, He had wealthy parents, 
but they died of an epidemic when he was still young. Uh, before they died, they had trained him. They brought him up, raised him up. He, he came to, to faith in Jesus Christ. They trained him to love Jesus and to follow the Bible and to obey the Bible. And uh, so his desire was to follow the teachings of Jesus Christ. And so at whatever age he was when, when, they, uh, when they died and passed away, that as he became a man, he was one that continued to follow Christ. And there's uh, just a few things that I want to mention uh, about him um, that can be emulated. He was, uh, he was a person who was compassionate. He was a person, that, he was a person of justice. He was, a, he was a businessman. He was a pastor. He was a theologian. So let's unpack those things a little bit. Um, well, the compassion side of who he was, he, this actually infiltrates everything of who he was. Because of who God was to him, it made him compassionate to other people. And, that, and that's what, what compassion is, is. Compassion is when we take grace and mercy that's been given to us and we bend it to other people. We're compassionate toward them, knowing that they're as imperfect as we are, but that they, they're loved deeply by Jesus Christ. He was one that gave to the poor. There's one night specifically that, that Nicholas, he put gold in the three different bags and tossed them into a home where there was, there was three um, impoverished women that lived. And back in those days, as today in many parts of this world that we've been studying through uh, justice and worship and through IJM, International Justice Mission, and of how people are being trafficked and how slavery is very real in this day and time, that when poverty has taken a community, taken a family, that many times all that's left for a woman or even a, a man, a girl or a boy, the only commodity that's left is their body. And they sell their bodies. And that's where these ladies most likely would have ended up, is in selling their bodies and being trafficked. And so Nicholas stepped in and he brought these these three bags of gold. And uh, as the story goes, what that did was that allowed for them to have a dowry so that they could be married. Because back in those days, if you, if, you didn't have, if you didn't have funds, you couldn't capture a husband. And so they each got married as a result of this. And uh, so the compassion that he had to wear in a strategic, in a specific way, there was somebody in his city, in his village, that he said, I care for you, I've got resources, I'm going to help pull you out of that poverty. I'm going I'm to help you to where you're not trapped, to where you're not, you're not, um, uh, your life is not twisted and manipulated. I love you, I want to bend grace out to you in this way. He was a compassionate man. He was a man of justice in other ways as well. Numerous stories of him coming to, to assist fellow citizens. Uh, there's an account of him saving innocent men from beheadings and that there were times in which he intervened in the court of law on behalf of other people. Um, some people, you know, there's, there's pictures, of course, of him with, with a bag, with a bag here or bags of gold, three bags of gold. And there's also some ancient pictures of him with a whip and that just signified that he was a man of justice, that he didn't just stand around and allow people to be abused. Nicholas, he was a man of justice. Um, it's been said that, that, he, uh, that he 
that he gave everything that he had to the poor. Um, and that might be the case at the end of his life. I don't, I don't know. But um, to a big degree, that's a misnomer. Because what he did is he used what he had. And he gave, he gave and gave and gave, but he didn't give it all the way. Uh, that he uh, most likely owned some ships uh, and uh, that, that he used that to, uh, uh, to, to continue to develop trade routes there on the Mediterranean. And uh, um, that there's, that there's a, a, a story of, when, of one time when he bartered with a ship from Egypt to supply grain for the city of Myra, um, which prevented a famine. So he was a part using using what he had, leveraging his skills, leveraging his leadership, he was able to save a town, save a city. That was, that was Myra, in which he later became, he became, uh, uh, he became bishop of Myra. Uh, he, uh, he traveled 300 miles um, to the capital, and he petitioned for lower taxes on behalf of the people. So, I mean, he was... He was Political and, and his own calling to where he he was involved in things. Uh, he he loved he loved people. He was a pastor. Uh, they uh, they made him the bishop of Myra, which was on the coast of the Mediterranean. Um, and for being a man that stood up for Jesus Christ, that clearly preached the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, he was persecuted. The Roman emperor at that time was Diocletian, and he was ruthless. And Nicholas suffered for his faith. He was exiled at one point. He was imprisoned. And it said that the prisons were so full of bishops and priests and deacons that there was no room for real criminals, murderers, thieves, and robbers. That's the kind of leader that Diocletian was. Persecuting. Persecuting these, these pastors. So he went to jail for his faith, for the sake of Jesus. This is Santa, you guys. Went to jail. Gave up his rights to follow Jesus Christ. He was not only compassionate. He wasn't just a man of justice. He wasn't just a businessman. He wasn't just a pastor. He was a theologian. Sometime after his his release, he attended the Council of of Nicaea. Now, here's the deal. Uh, If... If you don't know about the Council of Nicaea or the Nicene Creed, or maybe it's a little, little fuzzy about it, uh, just quickly, I mean, there's a heretic named Arius that was promoting that, that Jesus was a creation of God, but he was not equal to God. The council met from 250 to, th- uh, I'm sorry, the, the council met for several years. Finally, they penned the creed in 325. J.I. Packer, he said this, He's talking about the Council of Nicaea. He said, The moment of truth regarding the doctrine of the Trinity came at the Council of Nicaea when the church countered the Arian idea that Jesus was God's first and noblest creature. That's what the Arian thought was, that Jesus was God's first and noblest creature or creation. But rather, the, the, the Nicene Creed affirmed Rather, that Jesus was of the same substance or of the same essence as the Father. And so, Packer continues, said, Thus there is one God, not two. The distinction between Father and Son is within the divine unity. And the Son of God is in the same sense, in the same sense as the Father is, as God. 
in saying that the Son and Father are of the same, are of one substance, and that the Son is begotten, but not made. The Nicene Creed recognizes the deity, the godhood of the man from Galilee. And this was huge, a huge turning point in the world and within Christianity. And I want you, want you guys to take a look on the screen. We're going to pull up uh, the Nicene Creed. And in just a few minutes, uh, before we take communion this morning, we'll actually confess this as a theological statement to say we believe this. We're part of what's called Orthodox Christianity uh, in this. Um, and so uh, I'll tell you what, once you uh, once you uh, read this out loud with me, if it's something that you can fully confess and says, I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth and of all things visible and invisible. And in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, by whom all things were made, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried and the third day he rose again according to the scriptures and he ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of the Father and he shall come again with glory to judge both the living and the dead whose kingdom shall have no... And the Holy Spirit the Lord and giver of life who proceeds from the Father and the Son and the Father and Son together is worshipped and glorified who spoke by the prophets and one holy Catholic and apostolic church. I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins and I look forward Okay. Yes. Um, I look forward. I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Is how how it how it stands. And so this was something that uh, that Saint Nick was a part of. This very crucial point in Christian history that that, that he he was there. And there's some legends out there that uh, that at some point that. He uh, walked up to, to Ari, Arius and was so so mad that he actually punched him in the jaw, all right? And so uh, I had no clue whether that's, that's true or not. Most likely didn't didn't happen. But what we see here is we see a man who is willing to lay his entire life on the line. No, no matter what it took, his freedoms, his money, his time, everything that he had, he said, God, it's not mine. It's yours. Um, we read from Isaiah 9, 6 to 7 a little while ago. And, and I think this is an appropriate scripture because I believe when you look, you look at a guy like St. Nicholas, Pastor Nicholas, that you see that this was a man that looked and saw that this was, this was the Christ. This was Jesus who he came and he was born and he walked and, and he took my sins upon him on the cross. He died with them. He paid for them. He rose again from the dead. But it doesn't stop there. He was a man that said, now as a result of that, 
I want to be a part of seeing other people come into the family of God. And I want to be a part of spreading the kingdom of God. This scripture that is from Isaiah 9, 6 to 7, you see compassion, you see sovereignty, you see justice that's in here. Let's go back and read this again. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulder. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this, from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord will do this. I believe that when you look and you see, you see what, what I think these, these theologians at the time, these bishops, these pastors... At the time, they saw, all right, this is a God that not only has saved me and has not only been good to me, but they realized that God has saved us for good works that he's prepared for us beforehand that we should walk in. And they, they realized that, that there to be a person not only of an intimacy with God, but of incarnation of God. Not only to draw near the heart of God, but to be his hands and feet around. There's one that they said, okay, all right, this child was born, this king came, the government's going to be upon his, his shoulder, meaning that the day is coming. I mean, he's, he's going to be born king. He is Lord and king overall, no matter what. But there will be a day in the future when everything will be cleaned, when everything, when all sin, when all misery, when all sinners we put away, where there will be devastation to all who reject him, and all will be left with those that God has graciously saved that are resting upon him in faith. And, and God's going to do control all delete going to be a, a do-over that, that he does. He starts things over. It's going to be a new creation that he brings at this point. And so we're, we're caught. We're caught in the middle of this. Of Okay, Jesus came. He died. He rose again. And then someday he's going to come and, and complete it. And he says, what am I to do Right here in, in this middle. And God's basically saying, it's like, call, come to me, call others to me, and then go, up, go to others and be me. Take love, take compassion, take justice. It was, Jesus was called the wonderful counselor. And as much as I'd like to say, man, God wants me to be a, a wonderful counselor to others, and God wants you to be a person of wisdom that when people have, have uh, difficulties, that you can take them to the Word and, and, and that you can maybe even have a, a word of knowledge or a word of wisdom in their life. And, and God does want to do that. I want you to know that primarily what we need to do is we need to be taking ourselves to the Wonderful Counselor and taking others to the Wonderful Counselor. That we don't have to have the weight upon ourselves that we have to have all the answers, but rather to know, Jesus, you, you are the one who are, is the answer. And so we go to him. We go to him. He's a wonderful counselor. He's the mighty God, completely sovereign over everything. But there's, there's not a drop of rain that comes down on this earth that, that God doesn't know it and is pre-designed for that drop to come down and to drop where it does. He's intricately involved, even at the cellular level, he knows when the skin sloughs off those cells, when the hairs come out, 
And when, when the new ones start growing in, or for some of us, and the, the hair doesn't grow back in, um, as, as parts of your body gathers cancer cells and through time or healing or even through medicine, God does a healing. God is the one that he's intricately involved in that. He's mighty. He's powerful. So he's the, the prince of peace. The word peace, you know, the shalom in, in Hebrew. It's something that not only applies to, uh, to a, a peace of the soul, you know, of uh, a mind that's still, but it has to do with, with a safety and a security, a, a wholeness, a holistic uh, prosperity that takes place around us. Now, don't, don't hear prosperity theology in there that God wants everybody rich. That's not what God's plan is. But God wants everybody to experience the shalom of God. The peace of God, even in the middle of difficulties and trials. But that doesn't mean that we aren't people that, that we press in and where we see folks that, that there's injustice taking place, that, that, they have, that they're being enslaved by somebody else or they're enslaving themselves through vices and through addictions. They won't have compassion to be able to say, my God is mighty enough to bring you a peace, to bring you a shalom that will overwhelm you and overcome, overcome that in your life. He's a powerful God. He's an everlasting Father, a fatherly God. He's a God who brings us peace. Peace. We see sovereignty. We see compassion. We see justice in the God of the, this Bible. God called Nicholas to follow Christ in the areas of compassion and justice. To look within his city. Look within his area, within the place that he lived and to be the, the, the mouth of Christ and to be the hands and feet of Christ. And God calls us to do the very same thing, you guys. So, so this, is, this is biographical information about Nicholas. And not everything that I've said here is going to be entirely accurate because this is it's not the Bible. But I hope that you have a a better picture of, of who Pastor Nick was, who Bishop Nicholas was, St. Saint, Saint Nicholas. And, and so it, it kind of brings us back around of, so what do we do with, with Santa? And again, there's, there's two extremes. One is just to accept him as he currently is and, and just roll with it. But the other is to completely reject him and to never bring Santa or St. Nicholas up. And my encouragement to you is that you would redeem Santa. That you would take the origins of of who this man was. And you don't have to buy into every little mythology, every little legend that's said about St. Nicholas, but there's enough there to know that this was a pastor that gave everything. There was a man that even before he was a pastor, it's not about being in in full-time ministry and paid for it. This was a man who loved Jesus above everything else, above wealth, above power, above comfort, above living in freedom in his own home. Connect Santa back to this real pastor and that 
real pastor will help us to connect to Jesus. The real St. Nicholas was a man who understood the power of the gospel and his life was a response to the greatest giver of all. It was Jesus Christ. He was a man of compassion. He was a man of justice. He was a man of compassionate business practice. Some people call that compassionate capitalism. He was a man of the gospel. He was a man of theology. He was a solid pastor. He loved Jesus. He loved his city. And in fact, one thing you may want to do is you may want to put December 6th on your calendar and just kind of put a star there. That's actually St. Nicholas Day within, within church calendar, within, within tradition. And um, um, what, what you may want to do is seeing that Christmas is about Jesus to separate things out and to tell the story a little more clearly is to define uh, that December 6th, it celebrates who this, this man was. And maybe what you need to do is get together with your journey group or get together with your family. And on that day, that you would do something to serve the poor in your city. That, that you would do an act of justice within your neighborhood on that day. So guys, Christmas, uh, it's all about the one that that pastor loved. It's all about Jesus Christ. And Christmas is all about giving. It's all about giving. John 3.16, y'all can say it with me. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. It's all about giving. God God gave. And, and, uh, and so we're grateful for that. But, but I do want to tweak things a little bit because sometimes somebody may say, man, Christmas is not about receiving. It's not about me and, and all that. So we shouldn't be so focused on gifts coming to me. Really? Really? Because you know what? God so loved that he gave Jesus, but who did he give him to? To us. And so don't, don't get so torqued that you just flip all the way on the other side of this. Remember, man, it's, if you receive a gift on Christmas, may it remind you that God is a giver. It's not bad to receive a gift on, on Jesus' birthday because that is why he came. He came. If we want to emulate Jesus, the best thing is that we'd be able to, to give in an in a, um, unselfish way. But don't forget how, how gracious it is also to receive gifts. Don't, don't, think, that, don't think that it's bad or wrong uh, if somebody gives you something. In fact, graciously receive it and just say, thank you, you're reminding me of Jesus. If somebody gives you a gift on Christmas. Let me just give you a couple last thoughts, you guys. Um, I, I think that we should speak highly of the man named St. Nicholas. I do. Um, I think we should even desire to emulate the kind of man he was. Because we should be devoted to biblical theology like he was. We should be devoted to compassion for the poor to use our time, talent, and treasure to assist them. We should be compassionate. We should use the things God has given us, whether it's skills, whether it's our time, whether it's influence, we should use these things for the glory of Jesus Christ and to bless the city that we live in. Look around. Look around you. But the biggest reason that we should honor Pastor Nick 
is because he pointed to Jesus. Jesus was the hero of those three poor single ladies. Jesus was the hero of Nicholas. And Jesus is our hero. Jesus is a far greater God than Santa. He is omniscient. He's omnipresent. He's omnipotent. He, he knows everything that we do. And there is a record that's been kept and continues to be kept. But for you guys who are Christians, every time something else is added on there as far as a sin, immediately as it is, it's counted back at the cross. It was taken care of at the cross so that every time, every time we do something, it doesn't go on our record, but it's placed right back there on the cross a thousand, two thousand years ago. And so when you guys take communion this morning, I just want to challenge you that, that as you take this bread, and you know that, that God was broken for you. And you dip it into either the wine or into the juice that's there, that his blood was poured out, spilled out for you, that you look and you just say, God, I recognize that this is saying that you are my gift. And I receive it, Lord. I receive grace. Let's pray. Lord, uh, I just thank you so much for that gospel message. The greatest news of all is that there's a God who's who's all-powerful, He's close, and He loves us. loves us so much that, God, You sent Jesus to die for us 2,000 years ago. God, my prayer is that any of my friends that are in here or maybe listening to this in the future, that they've never come to that tipping point of surrender, that today would be the day, that right now as I'm speaking, God, that You would call their name. As I'm doing an external call toward them, that you do an internal call, Holy Spirit, and you bring them to faith in Jesus Christ. In fact, you guys that are in here right now or listening to this, just challenge you. If you've never surrendered to Jesus Christ, that now would be the day. In fact, I just want to ask, if, is, is there anybody in here that you just know? It's like, man, Holy Spirit is working in your life. And, and right now during this Christmas season, God has made himself aware. He's made you aware of who he is. And you're like, man, today, I mean, I'm ready to surrender. Is anybody in here? Just, I mean, just kind of let, let me know. All right, awesome. Is there anybody else? Um, for at least the one that, that, you, that you indicated that, I just want you to know. And anybody else who may be listening to this, it's not me as a pastor that you need to be saved. It's not a magical prayer that you need to be saved. It's that God has already come and He's changing your heart in a way that He'll never let go. And all you got to do is say, I, I surrender. That you say, God, I confess that I'm a sinner separated from You. You died for me and for us on the cross. I believe You rose again from the dead. And I surrender to You. You've, you're changing my heart. You're changing my life. I gladly place my faith in You because you're so gracious to me. For anybody that, man, just as the Holy Spirit leads you that way in prayer or in another way of confessing your sins to Him and placing your faith in Jesus Christ alone, the only way for salvation, then that's, 
that in of itself is an evidence that God is, uh, He's done a new birth within you. And for anybody else in here, um, that you just know God, God's changing your heart, that you don't want to be like St. Nicholas, you just want to be like Jesus. Because that's, that's all we're saying. Jesus was the hero of St. Nick. He's our hero. You say, God, make me more compassionate. Make me more aware of justice issues around me. Um, help me to be someone that's devoted to you and abandons all that I have because it's all yours. Help me to be someone, Father, that uses my talent, my time, and my treasure for your glory. Lord, uh, draw us near to you and just help us, Father, to uh, embrace the, the beauty of grace. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, here's what's going to happen. We've got, we've got some, some folks that are going to serve communion this morning and just bring the blessing reminding you that as Jesus said, you know, take, take and eat. My, bo- my body was broken for you. Or take and drink. My, my uh, blood was poured out for you. And, and again, just some instructions for you is, is uh, you're not going to be drinking from the cup this morning. You take that bread and dip it in either the wine or, or the juice. And through it, you are proclaiming the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ as being your hope as well. So these guys play, and and when you're ready, uh, go and take it.